Hello, and welcome to the January 2019 Respiratory Care Podcast. The first editor's choice article of 2019 is an evaluation of the combined impact of a silver-coated endotracheal tube and a device to clean the endotracheal tube inner lumen on bacterial colonization compared to standard endotracheal tube suctioning. Peroni et al. studied a small group of mechanically ventilated subjects and reported no difference in the microbial load or tube colonization, but there was a trend towards a reduction in endotracheal tube biofilm. These changes did not reach statistical significance, possibly as a reflection of the small sample size. In an accompanying editorial, Rosé and colleagues discussed the limitations of this small trial and the possible need to combine a host of technologies, perhaps as an airway bundle, to address ventilator-associated pneumonia. This could include continuous cuff pressure control, subglottic suctioning, coated endotracheal tubes, and mechanical devices to reduce biofilm. However, this is currently speculative and requires well-designed pragmatic trials to answer these questions. Etagaki and colleagues described the impact of a high-flow nasal cannula on thoracoabdominal asynchrony in pediatric subjects following cardiac surgery. Using respiratory inductive plethysmography, they evaluated high-flow nasal cannula at two flows, one and two liters per kilogram per minute, and compared that to a standard oxygen face mask. Their findings demonstrated no difference in PaCO2, but high-flow nasal cannula at two liters per kilogram per minute was associated with improved thoracoabdominal synchrony and a reduced breathing frequency. This may be due to a PEEP effect. In an accompanying editorial, Walsh suggests that the definition of high flow in pediatrics requires further clarification and that elucidation of the mechanisms leading to success of high flow nasal cannula remain to be fully understood. Schreiber and co-workers described the impact of physiotherapy on ventilator liberation of subjects requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation. This study of incremental steps of early mobilization over a 15-year period found that subjects able to maintain a sitting position in a chair, which is step two of the four steps, were more likely to be weaned from the ventilator. However, age and underlying disease were major determinants of weaning success, and the impact of early mobilization on weaning could not be defined. McIntyre evaluates these findings in light of the current weaning guidelines and highlights the challenges of early mobility in critical care. Zavorsky et al. described the impact of a marathon or half-marathon on post-race spirometry in recreational runners. They found a reduction in FEV1 post-race, which they hypothesized was caused by exercise-induced bronchospasm. The use of neuromuscular blockade has waxed and wanes with the evidence over the last decade. Maury and co-workers use a propensity match analysis to evaluate the impact of neuromuscular blockers in subjects with interstitial pneumonia exacerbations requiring mechanical ventilation. They found that neuromuscular blockers had no impact on mortality. Shepard and others evaluated functional tests of leg muscle strength in adult subjects with cystic fibrosis. They measured quadriceps strength along with a number of functional tests to evaluate muscle function. They suggest that quadriceps muscle strength and the association with clinical outcomes should be studied. Gomez, Punter, and colleagues compared oxygen desaturation during a six-minute walk test to nocturnal desaturations in subjects with cystic fibrosis. They did not find any relationship between the desaturations during the two scenarios. However, they found that impairments in FEV1% of predicted and diffusion capacity of carbon monoxide identified an increase in desaturation during the six-minute walk test. The incremental shuttle walk test is used to evaluate exercise capacity in patients with cardiorespiratory disease. 
Labdesa et al. report on a cross-sectional observational study of three intercremental shuttle walk tests on different days with 34 asthmatic subjects. They report that the incremental shuttle walk test presented good reliability in adult subjects with controlled asthma. Handguard and others evaluate the underdiagnosis of COPD from a large national health database. They found that undiagnosed subjects had fewer symptoms and better lung function compared to subjects diagnosed with COPD. This work highlights the importance of spirometry. Patia and coworkers evaluated the use of an exercise-induced bronchoconstriction challenge test in pediatric subjects with exercise-induced dyspnea. In a retrospective review of non-asthmatic subjects, they found that an exercise-induced bronchoconstriction challenge did not provide sufficient data to elucidate the cause of exercise-induced dyspnea. More formal cardiopulmonary exercise testing is required. Lepan et al. evaluated the impact of body mass index on the apnea-hypopnea index in subjects with sleep apnea. In a group of over 700 subjects treated with CPAP, the apnea-hypopnea index increased with increasing BMI. However, the apnea proportion decreased with de increasing BMI. An increase in BMI led to a decrease in the duration of individual apneas, hypopneas, and desaturations, while desaturation depth increased in the most severe category. They conclude that these findings should be considered when estimating the severity of disease and risk of related adverse health effects. Kronborg and colleagues evaluated the accuracy of COPD diagnosis based on pre-bronchodilator FEV1 FVC. They report that diagnosis, diagnosing COPD based on pre-bronchodilator FEV1 percentage of FVC contributed to the misdiagnosis of COPD. Adjusting the FEV1 to FVC threshold and diagnosing COPD based on a pre-bronchodilator FEV1 FVC increased diagnostic accuracy. This month's reviews include a meta-analysis of maximum oxygen uptake and its relationship with mortality in subjects with CF by Vendralusco. Low levels of maximum oxygen uptake were associated with an increased risk of mortality in CF. Yang et al. contributed a systematic review of pulmonary rehabilitation on quality of life in COPD subjects. Data from 17 trials demonstrated improved quality of life related to fatigue and dyspnea, but not emotional state. We thank you for listening to the Restorate Care Podcast. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.